teaching so giving and how it relates to evangelism uh, teaching with patience and how that relates to evangelism and then debating uh, false teachers as it relates to evangelism and then also not getting sidetracked when you're evangelizing so the two shortest ones are debating i mean not getting sidetracked debating and then teaching with patience and then giving and then giving will be the last one so let's go to not getting sidetracked it's the shortest topic uh, section i have so as you evangelize uh, whether you're on the street or if you're evangelizing a family member or really anywhere any context uh, you know, you will discover that people want to find out what your thoughts are on, on a bunch of different topics. They want to know what you think about current events. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why they're curious about what you think about current uh, about various topics is that they've heard professing Christians voice their opinion about something and now they want to know if you think the same way. And sometimes those Christians that they've listened to are not really Christian. They're, they might be nominal Christians. And so they've heard a lot of stuff and they want to see what you think about it. Because again, we're, we're like represent, representatives of Christ. And so they want to see what real Christianity is. Um, so I've, I've had you know, several people ask me what I think about Trump, what I think about Biden, what I think about you know, LGBTQ, what I think about vaccines and mandate, uh, vaccine and mask mandates, lockdowns, Black Lives Matter. And uh, Shelby, uh, we went out to eat with uh, my aunt, and she asked me like everything that was on the news, what, I, what my thoughts were on that, you know? And I kept just trying to redirect it back to the gospel, back to the gospel. Um, you know, one time I was evangelizing, we we're street preaching. I was street preaching and uh, it was, uh, some man just walked by and shouted out a question about Black Lives Matter what I think about that uh, and the temptation is to chase the rabbit you know to you know whatever answer <clears throat> but my advice to you is to not get sidetracked with the question uh, get straight to the gospel uh, furthermore you can use you can even use their question to talk about the gospel uh, an evangelist I heard had good advice on this. It was Paul Washer, and he said, uh, I think that, I mean, and I think that this is a good example of how to redirect the conversation to the gospel when evangelizing. So he said that, like, if someone were to ask him, you know, what do you think about the war? You know, or in our context, you know, what do you think about Russia and Ukraine? What are your thoughts on that? Um, he said that, that you could respond with something like this. Well, I think that war is evidence that there's something wrong with the world. It proves that the human heart is evil, and I think that it's evidence that we're all born sinners and need a savior. And then, then he used that to further explain and introduce the gospel into the conversation. Because um, <clears throat> remember, war is one of the things that Jesus Christ is going to get rid of in the new heavens and new earth. It says that uh, in the new heavens and new earth, in the end times when Christ redeems his people, that uh, they're going to beat their swords into pruning hooks. So there's going to be peace on earth in the new heavens and new earth. And you could even use that, you know what I mean, to tell them what the hope is that's to come. The thing that they're longing for, uh, the thing that 
that Christ is going to do. We need to saturate the gospel, I mean, saturate the conversation in gospel uh, context, content. Um, what else? And by the way, the reason for doing this isn't to be crafty. The reason is that we're, we, again, we're gospel-saturated people who love other people and desire them to experience the same salvation that we have. Uh, friends, the, the, the gospel addresses every aspect of life, and the gospel is our story. It's where we derive our worldview and identity. Um, Therefore, we need to address any topic through the biblical worldview, which is the gospel. We need to view the world through gospel lenses. The gospel offers the solution to all the brokenness we see around us and provides every longing of humanity. Because they are made in the image of God. There's something in them, in their, in their, um, in their mind, and their conscience that Something's wrong. They know that murder's wrong. They know that all the all the evil. They, they know that there's evil in the world, and they're but they're seeking solutions in idols, different ideologies, different physical things, different gods, different solutions, um, different philosophies. And we want to give them the gospel, which is the answer to the brokenness and the fallenness in the world. And so, since we love sinners, we want to proclaim the gospel to them, hoping and praying that they, that God would give them eyes to see. And so, we want to saturate the conversation with gospel, with the gospel, not on biblical worldviews. And I would say that too is that we need to check our worldviews. We need to check to see what our worldview is, and if there's anything in our worldview or philosophy that isn't the gospel, we need to cut that off. You know, in uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, God, you know, God promises to cleanse us of all of our idols. So if there's any competing idols in the scriptures, we need to get rid of them <clears throat> by the Spirit. And by the way, as you evangelize, you'll notice that people will want to dominate conversations with, you know, whatever. Like, let's say you're on the street or you're in a family setting at a table having dinner. And you're trying to share the gospel with your aunt or your sister or brother or maybe your neighbor across the street that you've invited over for dinner. And all they want to do is talk about what's on the news or something like that. Um, and you're trying to get in a word or, or maybe not, it's not even on the news, it's something else. And they're dominating the conversation for a long time about some off-topic thing. Uh, if that happens, uh, don't be impolite. Just give them time to say what they want to say and then get to the gospel as soon as you can. If you see that they won't let you get a word in, you uh, or you know you can ask or say something like, "I really enjoyed listening to what you've said. Uh, if it's okay with you, may I share what I think about that?" Something like that, and then transition to the gospel. So that's what I wrote on, uh, you know, not getting sidetracked. The second one would be debating false teachers. Uh, like such as Mormons, JWs, Catholics, etc. Um, practically every time that I've gone out witnessing, I've run into cults who are out witnessing as well. And sometimes they're out with amplifiers in the street, you know, preaching as well. 
uh, or they're, they're passing out tracks on a, on a street corner. Uh, at the location where I used to evangelize in Dallas, there would be two main cults there, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Hebrew Israelites. And however, uh, even if you're not out witnessing in the streets, you're going to run into cults as you evangelize too. So again, in, in any context, there's people everywhere that, that are believing in something. Um, and so it doesn't matter, again, if you're on the street or any context, you're going to run into false teachers anywhere you go. So this is relevant to everybody, not just the street preachers, you know, the weird evangelist people. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so... Uh, you may have family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, etc. who are in those cults. And before I read my text, I want to encourage you do not that you do not need to be an expert in their religion to disprove their beliefs. You just need to be an expert in your beliefs, in, in your understanding of the gospel. Because again, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and so he works through that. I'm telling you, it's, it's interesting. Like, when you preach the gospel, something happens. Like, God... Like, we'll give them either eyes to see, or they're going to turn against it, if you're preaching it the right way. So, okay, so here's the text. Go to Acts 18. Go to Acts 18, and we're going to look at a, a really interesting text that I found in Acts. Uh, it's going to be Acts 18, verse 24 to 28. Acts 18, 24 to 28. Uh, okay, so uh, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, their brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, were, who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Um, I really like this passage. I think it has a lot to do with debating false teachers, obviously. So I want to point out a few things. First, Apollos was able to, re to refute the Jews for several reasons. Uh, what was one of the reasons that he was able to refute the Jews? What are the things that describe him? He was mighty in the scriptures. Amen. Yeah, I, li I like that translation. He was mighty in the scriptures. Uh, anything else? He was fervent in spirit. Yeah, fervent in spirit. Uh, He'd been instructed. He was instructed. And he was eloquent. I think that eloquence is good to have. We don't want to be... Um, I'm not going to get into that. Maybe we can talk about that another time. But eloquence is good. Um, God can work through a donkey though, right? Okay, so... Apollos was able to refute the Jews for several reasons. One, he was eloquent, competent in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord and fervent in spirit. So number one, he was eloquent. 
We need to be well versed in the Bible in order to explain it in a way that our opponents and bystanders bystanders can understand. People that are in the vicinity of us refuting, uh, you know, false teachers, they also need to catch what we're saying, and then the people we're talking to need to understand as well. So, and that's what I mean by eloquence, being able to communicate the scriptures. Two, he was competent in the scriptures. We need to know our Bible, the Bible, all the New Testament. Uh, we need not, we need not only to know what it says but we need to interpret it the way Jesus and the New Testament authors did so that we can understand and communicate the meaning of difficult passages that cults distort. Because what cults do is they'll take Old Testament scriptures and then they'll twist them. They'll, they won't interpret them the way that the New Testament interprets them. Uh, one time we were out uh, evangelizing and uh, there was these two women that were passing out water bottles to the people under the bridge we were under the bridge, it was strange. It was like a community, a neighborhood underneath the bridge where they even had like lines to divide their property. You know, these uh, homeless people that were under the bridge. Well, we were out there sharing the gospel and then uh, these two ladies were passing out water bottles. So I asked them, you know, what are y'all doing here? Are you guys Christian as well? And then she started saying, long story short, they were like, they were, it was a cult. And they were taking Old Testament passages and saying that, you know, us Christians don't understand the New Testament, that we should still be abiding by the law of Moses, um, you know, eating dietary law of this and this and that. And so we need to, that's what I mean by interpreting it through the New Testament lens to what Christ has said, because they'll take Old Testament passages and then they'll just twist them um, a lot. So... And the last, um, let's see. Okay, so by the way, and I've shared this like a few, several times before, but again, a key verse for interpreting the scriptures, a good one, it's not the only one, is Luke 24, 44 through 47. Luke 24, 44 through 47. Because in that one, Christ just summarizes, you know, what the the scriptures say, what they're about. Of course, you can delve in and like see all these uh, a lot more there, but that's what it's leading to: is the death, resurrection of Christ. I didn't know we were turning there, but we can. Can somebody read it? What verse? Twenty-four, forty-four, fifty-four, seventy. Mm-hmm. Then he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law." Okay, third, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. Apollos was taught by Priscilla and Aquila the way of God more accurately, and we need to remain humble as well so that we're teachable. We need to stay teachable. Apollos wasn't like, who are you? Get out of here. You know, he, he received the teaching. He was teachable. We also need a source of instruction. Uh, God has given us uh, preachers, teachers, and even one another to sharpen one another. 
uh, to be able to teach one another the way of God more accurately. And uh, actually one of the ways we do that is through hymns. Hymns teach our means of teaching. Um, so through the hymns, through the preaching, through uh, fellowship, we're able to understand the way of God more accurately. And not only to refute teachers, right? But that's one of the reasons that we should learn scriptures more accurately. And then lastly, it says that he was fervent in spirit. And I don't want to stretch the meaning of this because I kind of looked into the to the, the Greek and trying to understand the context. But I, I, it seems that his fervency added to his ministry. And, and one must have some passion to preach and defend God's word. Uh, fervency, passion can be cultivated by the way. You can cultivate fervency for the gospel. Um, and one of the ways you do that is, well, the only way I think is being born again and then spending time beholding Christ in, in, in the Bible. Uh, and as you behold Christ in the Bible, you will become more like him. Your love for God and your love for lost souls will grow. And as you speak with God, as you pray to God, your fervency for his glory and for lost people will grow as well. Um, so like if you're lacking the, if you're afraid, uh, then join the club and pray and ask God for fervency and for passion for his glory. And so um, this next one is going to be teaching with, on teaching with patience, teaching with patience. Um, and this one, so all of these, uh, so this topic is actually very um, important to me because I've been out with people that are like kind of like almost shock pre preachers, shock and awe preaching, where they say things that are really like offensive. They'll go out and they'll call women, you know, prostitutes and say, you know, use like really, really bad language. And that draws the crowd. And then they start like just preaching judgment and they don't ever offer the gospel. Um, it was, that the guy I was with was borderline that, and I had to take him aside and tell him that, you know, to help him with that, and he he, he repented. Um, okay, so the first text is this is Second <coughs> Timothy two twenty four. Um, as a matter of fact, I want everyone to turn to First Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen. First Corinthians thirteen. <coughs> Um, and uh, so yeah I want you all to stay in 1 Corinthians 13 I'm going to read two other passages but, I, I don't, but don't turn there because they're really short, that's why so 2 Timothy 2.24 says and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil um uh, put and, and then First Peter three fifteen says this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's hard because uh, the people that get under my skin the most are the Hebrew Israelites. Um, they used to be Roman Catholics because uh, I used to be Roman Catholic, and so. Uh, you know, whenever, anytime I would engage a Roman Catholic, it would turn into like a debate where I was getting, where I wasn't gentle, I wasn't respectful, I wasn't uh, patiently enduring evil, but I became quarrelsome. Um, and now the new group that gets 
or you know, I have to watch myself when I, before I go out and engage them as the Hebrew Israelites. Because um, you hear the gospel and, and like you see all these people listening to it and it, it really you know, irks me. But nevertheless, the command is that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, uh, being able to give a reason for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Let's go ahead and look in our Bibles there. This is for all of us that evangelize, and uh, really everybody, but we're looking at it in the context of evangelism as for now. So if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So I've seen a lot of evangelism, evangelists, uh, including myself at times, preach the gospel without love for the people that we were preaching to. And the preaching is nothing but noise. It's vain. It's empty. And actually, you have, I've actually spent hours of wasted time because of, you know what I mean, because of my disposition when I went preaching. Um, so, and, and you could win a lot of debates. Uh, you know, you could be right. You can make logical arguments that are theologically sound. Spend hours of street preaching and talk, talking to people, and it's all just a noisy gong, and it's done, if it's done without love. So I've seen too many evangelists gather to witness as well, and they all want, all they want to do is debate. They want to get into a, a debate about presupp- presuppositional apologetics. They want to use their uh, method of presuppositional apologetics. And they, they just want to destroy the person as well as their argument. It's not good. They're out for themselves sometimes. Uh, and I really don't want this. I really do not want this church to become like that. And the, the way that we can avoid that is by preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another because the gospel humbles us and reminds us that we are not righteous and we are only people who have received grace. And you are just as dead and just as hateful towards God as the people that you evangelize. Um, yeah, so let's not go there, please. Okay. Um, I'm saying because a lot of things, a lot there's a lot of people on YouTube, on social pro- platforms that are fil- filming themselves evangelize. And then what do people do? I want to know how to evangelize. So they go on YouTube, and then they get their training from people that are like that. Then they, okay, uh, they get together in a church. All right, we got to emulate that. And then that's the flavor of the church, of, of the style of the church, church's evangelism after that. So we want to be careful with that. All right, so 1 Corinthians. Um, so what does this love look like? Let's read. go down to verse 4 through 7 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, So love, again, is the fulfillment of the law. And we love because we have been loved first when we were in sin. Um, And since we have been loved even when we were enemies, we love even our enemies as well. And remember what it, what I said last message, if you want to be a good evangelist and you have to be a good Christian, how do you be a good, a good Christian? You become like Christ. How do you become like Christ? 
by obeying his commandments? Well, no, by seeing him, and then as you see him, you're transformed into him and thus become like him, the way you speak, the way you act. Um, so our evangelism is characterized, should be characterized by love. So even our evangel evangelism is characterized by 1 Corinthians 13. Our attitude in evangelism should be marked by these qualities, patience, kindness, not arrogance, not rudeness, not boastfulness, not domineering, not irritability, not resentful, not, re not rejoicing or wrongdoing. Because some street preachers will even say, like, wish death upon, uh, you know, the people that are out there. And they kind of, like, it, it just, you got to hope, yeah, it's not good. Okay. So, okay, I, I would venture to say that in every culture, some of the negative characteristics that I just mentioned, like arrogance, rudeness, irritability, and patience, are traits that are deemed virtuous. I teach a bunch of high school students, and they're arrogant, and they're uh, very, they think the world revolves around them, and that's actually virtuous to them. They, they think that that is powerful, right? If you can act like that, and you know? But, what, but look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 11. So go to verse 11. He says this in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's using the analogy of growing from a child to a man to show what it's like to grow in spiritual maturity. So child. So what's childish uh, spirituality? Arrogance, rudeness, irritability, impatience. Um, all of the traits that are negative in 1 Corinthians 13. But Christ-like men and women um, are, are growing in the graces and the characteristics of 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts... Uh, wait, let me see if I have enough time to finish this, because I don't want to spin my wheels on this topic if... I covered everything I wanted to say. By the, okay, so I do want to say this because it's in, it's in connection to what I said earlier about not getting sidetracked. So another reason that I wanted to talk about patience is that um, I've also seen evangelists who view atheists, drunkards, Immoral people, homosexuals, transgender activists, BLM and CRT supporters, mask and vac vaccine advocates, drug dealers, prostitutes, etc., um, with contempt and disdain, and they don't even want to tell them the gospel. All they want to do is uh, disseminate their, um, you know, like their 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 opinions sometimes on these things. And what we want to do is preach the word of God, preach the gospel. In those contexts and so the reason why I say that is because what happens is if you get met by someone like that and they want to hear the gospel what's going to happen is you're going to get impatient and angry and then you're going to just lash out at them and so we want to pray before we go into those situations do we hate sin yes we hate sin we hate um, prostitution we hate drunken we hate drunkenness we hate uh, all of these things right drug dealing um, but and, and we hate the, the we hate sin and we hate the effects of sin that affect others, right? 
but we are redeemed people who want, to, who want them to be redeemed as well. And if we look at our Lord, the one who, who had commanded us to go, right in the Great Commission, he says go, and the one who redeemed unclean sinners like us, he, who ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners, who touched lepers, who showed mercy to adulteresses. If you talk to, so, you know, he's our model for uh, reaching people that are lost. And if you talk to any of the people I just mentioned, uh, love them, tell them the gospel, remind yourself. I, I want you all to remind yourself of this. The next time that, uh, and this goes for me, you know, I think my pastor said this uh, a long time ago. Uh, he said, I got one finger pointing at you and three pointing back at me. Okay, so I'm not perfect in these things and growing in grace. <laughs> okay, so I want you to, to, to tell yourself, to remind yourself of this. Um, that God's estimation of you and your sin was far lesser than your estimation of them and their current sin. Far lesser. Um, yet he sent his son to die for you. Yes, sir, come on in. Okay. You guys can't have any. Um, okay, so perhaps, perhaps they're. I'm going to wrap up here really quick. So perhaps they're Christ elect, and even if they're not Christ elect, they are. We are still commanded to love our enemies, and I found a few examples in Scripture. So the Job, I mean, the Jews stoned, whipped, and beat Paul. Yet we see in Romans that he had great sorrow and anguish and an anguished heart for the Jews. Then in Philippians, he wept over those who had fallen away from the faith. These are false converts. In Philippians 3, he's like, I tell you with tears that they are not enemies of the cross. Uh, most people's uh, um, you know, like disposition would be like, well, good, we don't need them anyway. Cut them off and let's just move. You know what I mean? They're just... A cancer to the body, get them out of here, who cares? But Paul, one of the most theological men who could outwit John MacArthur, uh, Charles Spurgeon, and Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, wept with tears for false converts because they, they fell away from the faith. I don't know if he could outwit me, but who knows? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sure he could. Okay. Uh, you wrote the Bible, right? <laughs> okay, so part of it. So perhaps, so on the cross, oh, by the way, so uh, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. On the cross, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I read it, an article by Mounts. Has anyone ever heard of Bill Mounts? I know the, some people have Bill Mounts. He's a, he's a Greek, he was a Greek professor. And he said that the Greek in this text where it says that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that the Greek communicates that he not only said it once, he didn't just say it once, but he was saying it um, as he hung on the cross. And then we see Stephen as he hung on the cross, and then we see Stephen following in the footsteps of our Lord who cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not withhold the sin against them. And so we don't see him repaying evil with evil, and I think that the people who argue that we should retaliate ground their argument in the Old Testament more so, and we should uh, read and apply the Old Testament as long as we filter it through the New Testament. Commandments and patterns and see Christ as our example and the New Testament as our guidelines for interpretation. 
Um, Mr. Warren, may I have five more minutes? Okay. Okay, so there's one last thing I wanted to share. And I'm going to end it with a story. I didn't mean to do this. But I, was, I wanted to first explain it, but I'll go through the story and then it'll, it'll make sense. So this has to do with giving and acts of mercy. So whenever we're evangelizing, uh, whether you're in the street or any context, uh, there's going to be situations where like, you can't help but not meet the need. It's almost like it would be wrong to walk away in, in those instances. Uh, for example, I think um, there was a, some missionaries who went, and you all probably know these people, but I'm not going to say their names or where the country was. But they were in, um, in a foreign country, and they saw orphans that were in the street. And one of the missionaries said, we can't just leave these kids here, because they were like really bad off. like in a really, really, really bad way. Um, and they're just in the street. And the person felt like it would be immoral for her to see that and just walk away. And so sometimes when we're out trying to evangelize in the streets or even in any context, we're going to come across uh, like things like that, that in our heart and in our conviction, like it's like we know that if we turned a blind eye to it, it would be wrong. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of a situation, a personal one, but well, uh, I'll go ahead. Oh yeah, I'm about, I'm about to tell the story. Okay, so this is going to fit. Um, so um, two verses though, Matthew 5, 42 and 45, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And then why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. Um, so here's a story. So uh, this is a story about when a Christian man gave to a homeless man uh, in evangelism. And I'm ashamed to actually share this anecdote because it doesn't make me look good. Um, and it doesn't make the people at this church look very good either. I'm not going to say the church. Uh, but we were all acting like hypocrites except for that one guy that helped out, that man that was in this situation. So this happened about two years after I was saved and I was walking into a church. I was visiting it and it was located in the heart of downtown Dallas. And there was a homeless man who had stitches in his neck and was just discharged from the hospital that morning. He had several other bandages and wounds and he was robbed the night before. And the thieves pushed him. They ran up on him, uh, you know, out of nowhere, pushed him. And he fell like forward onto a metal fence that like lacerated his neck. It was a really deep, deep cut. He had a huge cut like this. And uh, the doctor said that if the cut had been any closer to his artery, artery he could have cut the artery and he could have died. Uh, he was across the street at the crosswalk that everyone was using to walk into this church. And he was there asking for help. And there were droves of people in their Sunday's best uh, just passing by him. Um, just, you know, relate to church or just trying to do the church thing and, you know, they're all looking real nice and whatnot. Um, and I admit that I was tempted to pass by him too. I said, ah, you know, this guy, whatever, doesn't, doesn't deserve uh, my attention right now and I'm late. Uh, but I stopped 
And however, I didn't do any better than the people that passed by him. I began by asking him what he what had happened to him, and, and then I began to ask him if he was saved, and he said yes, and then I, I just started to question his salvation and explain the difference between true and false conversion until I became frustrated with him and I just left. I was like, you're not converted, you know? So instead of meeting this man's immediate need, an obvious need, which was to get some food and a safe place to rest, because it's not exactly safe if you're homeless, trying to recover from a deep cut, you know, and you can get robbed and other stuff can happen to you. Um, I treated I treated him with disdain, yet his greatest need is the gospel, right? Obviously. But this man was in bad shape and living on the streets isn't exactly the safest place. So I ended the conversation with him and went into the church. And as I was sitting there, I felt so convicted. So I walked back outside. I said, okay, I'm going to make the wrong ride. I'm going to go and, and help this man. But thankfully, the Lord sent him another person uh, who I found out later was a man experienced administering to homeless people in Dallas. And so I walked up to him and, and to the Christian who had come to, to help him. And I listened in on the conversation. And before I, ended this, before I end the story, I want to ask you a question. Uh, did that man who was probably unconverted uh, deserve help that day? Do you and I deserve mercy from God? No, the answer to that's no. But that's why it's called mercy and grace. And um, we have been shown mercy, therefore we show mercy. Now I want to tell you the rest of the story. So the Christian bought the homeless man a hotel, a hotel room, drove him there, bought him food. Then he said the next day he was going to take care of him on Monday by helping him find a, a shelter. Uh, this story may remind us of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the religious people just walked on by, including me. Uh, but the one who loved his neighbor as himself stopped and helped this man. And so far be it from us, far be it from us to look at the, that homeless man or anybody and say in our hearts, he got what he deserved. He got what he deserved. He's homeless. If he had not been homeless, it was, this would have never happened to him. Or I worked too hard for my money to help this man. Uh, I want to remind you that Christ the holy king of kings who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. Rich. The undefiled one, pure son of God, entered into our sinful, unholy, defiled, uh, sin-stained world and healed us by suffering a death that we deserved. We deserved that death. Uh, we didn't deserve to be helped. But he came in, uh, and, you know, and, and he, he died for our sins. Uh, okay, so I'm going to give you one text, and then I'm going to conclude, and that's it. Um, we're not going to go there, but you just write it down to look at it later. Because uh, I do want to add a word of caution here, that there are limitations to what we can do. And thankfully, we're not on our own. We have one another to help pitch in our resources to help others to build the temple of God, the church, and to give in order to do good deeds. So what we need to do is take all of Scripture what scripture says about money and giving and then pray so that we know what to do in each in each situation because there's no kind approach to this and a good chapter to begin reading about giving is 2 Corinthians 8 2 Corinthians 8 so I would say that uh, recommend reading 2 Corinthians 8 and the apostles ministry the apostles 
uh, we're concerned with helping the poor. Uh, Galatians 2.10 reveals that.